Welcome to Stock Odds, Odds in the End. This is Dave and Rob for our Saturday night uh, prep here for Stock Odds for the week ahead. Good evening, Rob. How's everything? Not too bad. Uh, how, do I have any background sound from the AC running or no? No, okay. sound clear. Okay. All right, let's rock and roll here. Um, so again, we're hitting it on Saturday night, so that's pretty exciting. Um, so first thing is what happened last week on the 15-minute uh, spy chart here? Um, so I included this uh, previous Friday because you notice the gap that we had on Thursday to Friday, right? Mm -hmm. So there was a gap up, and then we kind of uh, had a late late day kind of interesting dip, and we popped back up, and then we gapped up a little bit the next day, and then we and then we sold sold down, so we filled the gap. Um, but pretty much Monday and Tuesday were just sideways in line with Friday's trading range. Um, so not much going on there. And this um, this this uh, build up here was you know, kind of like we were we were expecting earnings and they were going to get heavier through the rest of the week. We still had a bit, but it was hanging in there until this gap down here. Um, and notice that um, you know this overnight gap got filled by it dropping here mm. and um, I just wanted to point out that that's you know quite typical for daily gaps to get uh, filled um, sometimes they take a long time it depends on what the driver is and for individual stocks if it was a fundamental change it could take a while uh, for the gap to be filled but it's very interesting to me how over the long sample we see these daily gaps getting filled um, the intraday ones like um, you can see we gapped down here on Thursday and, uh, you know, took took a half a day to, to fill the gap, but it did it intraday. And then again on Friday, we gapped up and it filled it uh, pretty quickly within about 45 minutes there. The gap was filled. So um, these intraday gaps or basically the overnight gap and the fill intraday are pretty common. Um, as are these daily gaps, but the daily gaps usually take a lot longer. Um, and again, depending on the catalyst, whether it's a real fundamental change, like it could be incredible earnings that starts, you know, moving the stock, it gaps up and it keeps on going. It could take a long time for that to come back down and fill that gap. So we had more volatility hit here uh, because of the Fitch downgrade of government debt from AAA to AA plus. Uh, we also had um, economic reports, some of them kind of suggesting a little bit of slowness in spending in the services side, in the um, manufacturing side. We also had like a little hint that maybe the Fed would keep the rates elevated longer than people might expect. Um, but overall, I mean, you know, even even on Friday, for example, if you look at the growth stocks were still hanging in there okay. Um, you know, it was kind of a broad market sell-off, but you had Amazon holding it up and, you know, discretionary was still pretty good. So so uh, a risk on list, for example, still won out on Friday, even though we had this late day sell-off. Um, so it was interesting to see that. Going on to the ETF's performance for the week here. You can see diamonds down uh, just over 1%, IWM a little bit more. 
than that, but uh, those were still stronger. So the price weighted Dow did the best, the Russell 2000 um, next best, and the Qs did the worst. You know, um, you've got Apple's exposure there, and Apple was down 7% for the week. Um, so the Qs uh, forming the worst spy the next. Um, but for the month, you know, uh, IWM uh, coming in as the the victor so far. Um, this is going back, not like the month of August, but this is going back a full month here. Remember, we talked about anticipating and expecting some of the small caps to, to do well, that the Russell should have a bit of a rally for the summer. Um, why we were expecting that is because we had the mega caps dominating in the first uh, six months of the year so much so, and the Russell was really lagging that, um, you know, I thought, thought that uh, was a, potentially a good time for it to start to shine after that, and um, it has done so. Um, going for the week again here, in terms of the ETFs, energy doing the best. So we've had um, a couple interesting developments in the energy patch. It seems that the supply side for some of the stuff that drives the economy is, um, you know, uh, limited, I guess. And um, we've had also OPEC, you know, not uh, not really interested in increasing the supply, so sticking with their supply cuts. Um, just uh, it was it was very discounted. You can you can see how how poorly it performed year to date, even after this uh, rally here. Um, year to date still down, uh, but it's finally been uh, kicking in. Did uh, pretty good this last few weeks here and this and this week while everything else was down energy was up 1.25 percent xlk and keeping with the queues down the most um well besides utilities now that's a really strange thing when you see you know technology doing so poorly along with utilities usually you don't get that um you get uh, utilities a little bit more defensive but um just so you know in terms of our risk on list and risk off list the risk on list has um xlk components like um it is the s p 1500 so it's a little bit broader than just the sector etfs but it has xlk it has xly so discretionary technology and communications those make up the buy side for the risk on and the short side of that equation would be industrials, staples, and healthcare. And so for the risk off list, it's the opposite. Healthcare, staples, and industrials are the long side, and the other three, the risk on side, are, are the shorts. Now we could introduce utilities or real estate we could introduce energy as well but we find that those are usually more uh, volatile and the good old standbys um, and even basic materials we could as well but just the sort of the more boring and yet 
giving us that exposure to risk on and risk off, um, we found that uh, the sectors that are selected work pretty well. Would you agree with that, Dave? Yeah, totally. I mean, it's it's we're not getting into the you know sort of that volatility or the the commodity relationship there um, with XLE. Um, we could we could bring in financials, but obviously um, they've had some issues from time to time as well. Um, real estate, yeah, it can be kind of sensitive uh, and volatile. And utilities, for whatever reason, they're just performing like whacked out, you know, <laughs> stooges or something. I mean, look at this for the year. Year to date, minus 9.23%. This week alone, minus 4.55. So something something strange going on. Um, you you would think you would think they'd be doing pretty good with all the uh, electric vehicles being sold and the and the cost of electricity. There was this article I was reading that uh, it's getting more expensive to drive a Tesla now than it is um, to drive a uh, you know good efficient uh, gas vehicle when you have to consider your charging costs and stuff like that. So I don't know, that was uh, interesting. Um, what do you think about that? <laughs> no, in, in California too, they keep raising the, the electricity rates and and then they're also making it harder for so, people with solar to get uh, an advantage as well. They're, they're, you generate the money, the power, they sell it at a premium, but when you need to buy it back from them, they give you, I mean, really high rates. So the, the arbitrage there, they're winning out either way, so. Well, you know, in utilities, yeah, you have like gas utilities. You have um, some that are actually exposed to a telco because they've laid they've laid fiber and they have interest in fiber along with the gas lines and things like that. You have, of course, your you know electric utilities, but you think that they would be winning um, with the ability to to keep raising rates and taking advantage of selling more electricity because it seems that the electricity demand keeps going up and up and up even if the gasoline demand goes down the um you know the electricity uh demand is going up so and, and with the ai can you imagine like if everybody's uh getting more and more involved in ai it would be like uh back in the day when they were all everybody was doing mining at home right for crypto it's like the electricity use uh starts to skyrocket so that's that's interesting to me. I don't know. We can look into it further. But uh, moving on, this is the week uh, map here. So you can see Amazon dominating with its earnings. And that drove the consumer cyclical and held it up, even though Tesla was down. Amazon uh, really kept this uh, performing well for the week. Um, Apple down 7%. Uh, AMD up 2.53%. So that was interesting for that semiconductor. Um, so there are, you know, there, there's kind of in every group, there's some green shoots, right? But across the board, it would seem to be a, a broader market uh, sell-off. And yet you saw signs still of, of growth kind of peaking through and, and dominating the week, even though it's a down week, right? Uh -huh. Here's the industries. Um, you can see, uh, well, I guess uh, that can't be that all that bad with the, the wheat uh, situation with the Ukraine and Russia and all that kind of stuff. If uh, wheat wants to sell off that much uh -huh. for the week, 9.83%. Uh, corn down as well. 
And what do we got? Uh, gold not doing too much. Um, U.S. dollar was just slightly up for the week. Not much going on there. But then, of course, your crude oil, your heating oil, uh, way up for the week. And coffee. Yeah. So if you trade in Starbucks, keep uh, they're probably pretty sensitive to increases in coffee prices, I would think. Um, this is value versus growth ETF. So IVE versus IVW. And we see that uh, from June, that value, prob probably because, you know, growth growth had such a good good phase, uh, you know, early in the, in the year. And then we, we got into the banking crisis and then value was like popping up a little bit. Um, then it settled back down when with the AI stuff. So growth uh, started to dominate again. So the way this works is if the if the spread is in favor of value, then it, it would be heading up. And if it's in favor of growth, it would be heading down because it's a spread relationship. And so um, recently here, you can see that uh, value again uh, popping up. Now, this should really be a ratio chart, um, not a not a differential. Um, in order to get proper perspective. So you can check it out for yourself. Just use ratio charts, not differential. This came came to me as a differential chart here. So, um, so just keep that in mind. And what do we got here on the economic calendar? Yeah, so the theme for the week is the health of the consumer and inflation. So Monday, we have consumer credit report. Tuesday, there's some Fed speak. Uh, there's a Philadelphia Fed president and a Richmond Fed president. So anytime those guys speak, it can move the markets. And um, on Thursday, there's some inflation data. There's a core CPI. And Friday, there's the core PPI. CPI lets us know how prices are rising or not for consumers. And then PPI is indicative of um, the cost of inputs for, for producers, right? So if these are continuing to head downwards, it's going to keep the market happy. If there's some sudden increase, then it might uh, suggest that interest rates are going to go even higher for longer. So those are the, the main ones for the week. And uh, yeah, the theme is inflation data. And um, what are some of the bigger earnings this week? Yeah, so uh, we have uh, Disney, UPS, uh, Palantir. So those are some of the, and there's a whole bunch. I mean, there's, I think I found 2,900 <laughs> symbols that have. Yeah, well, what happens is that, you know, you start off earlier in July with uh, the brokers and some of the money center banks and things like that. Some of the big consumer discretionary stocks. And then as you go on, you know, it uh, it starts to change and then you get a lot of smaller companies later on in earnings season. Last week we had some some big win big ones still like Amazon and Apple, um, but as we move forward for the rest of August, you'll see that um, there's a lot of um, smaller companies that come out, and they can still move a lot. You know, it's um, sometimes there's there's more weirdness and damage that goes on with those smaller ones later on, even though that um, you know there's not um, there's not a, a big ones reporting, but just to, to note here that the lightest volume month of the year for stocks is August. Summer vacation, you know, it's a popular month. Um, you know, some of our traders take 
take the month off for at least a few weeks in August. Um, so many institutions are scaled back, um, especially after, if you think about after this Fitch downgrade and some of the other earnings that are in play, it's almost like why, why commit institutionally when you can kind of wait till September and see what the landscape's like? Like this isn't a time to say, hey, after we've had a big run, now let's, you know, get fully invested. No, it'd be like, let's maybe lock in some profit from some of the runs we've had. And then let's just hold, hold our position and uh, and wait till September. Um, that's the attitude that I, I see more valent. Um, just remember that uh, Monday will be especially like volume. We've got a lot of uh, Canadian institutions offline that trade the US uh, markets. Um, so Monday uh, will be a really light volume. Um, but uh, yeah, people start to, you know, taken off for their August vacation. And uh, these next two weeks are pretty light volume. And then some people come back uh, because, you know, school starts uh, third week of August and um, get back to work. So it, it can pick up. We often have some volatility the third week of August. So keep that in mind. Um, but here's the uh, core CPI. What does it measure? Changes in prices paid by consumers for a basket of goods and services, excluding food and energy. Um, why it's used to track underlying inflation. So, Dave, what's this here with the core? You have core P or the core CPI and core PPI. Yeah. So this is the PPI. So slightly different, which is on Thursday. Uh, this is on Wednesday, right? Thursday and Friday. Oh, Thursday and Friday. Okay. Okay. So both are both are still showing inflation. So inflation on the input side, which would be PPI, or the prices paid, which is CPI. So if both go up, it just means inflation is going up even more. Right. So uh, leading, leading indicators, right? So this shows you what's about to happen. So it's followed quite closely. And in the last few months of these coming out, they have been quite favorable as compared to last October 13th, where uh, the markets gapped down huge on really bad CPI numbers. So since that worst case scenario, things have been improving and usually both of these numbers have been supporting the buy side this year. And, um, and people are, you know, they're factoring in Still a soft landing, low chance of recession. We are in the third year of um, the election cycle, which is usually a positive. We had a bad year in the second year, um, which is often the case too. Uh, and so we had a bad year. We had good January effect, you know, good traction with uh, getting through the regional bank crisis and people started to buy again. We got good traction with the AI tailwinds. Um, and then we had, you know, pretty reasonable earnings season so far. Uh, again, getting more traction, more lift. The only things that that kind of started to crop up here is, you know, the Fitch downgrade. Um, and then there was some news that I noticed um, on Friday. If we look here at, at Friday's sell-off. So Friday was doing pretty good. I mean, we were elevated. We already elevated in the morning. And then... Um, we, we sold off and tagged the previous close. So there's a gap fill right there just after 10 o'clock, which is a, a point where you really have to watch that 10 o'clock 
time frame. It's a very pivotal, um, and uh, we we tagged it perfectly, bounced off it, and it rose all the way uh, to a new high intraday, and then it sold off here. So what I found uh, was the potential reason for that um, was that um, the six major banks are going to have to pick up the tab uh, to the tune of 56% of the $15.8 billion it cost the FDIC to protect uninsured depositors. That's for the Silicon Valley Bank and the Signature Bank. So those two was a tune of $15.8 billion. JP Morgan is on the hook for $3 billion. So I think that, that might that when that came out, I think it might have caused some of this downdraft here just because those are six big financials and you know maybe a few billion here and there doesn't sound like a big deal but just the fact that they have to step up and cover 56 percent of you know the cost that the fdic used to protect the uninsured depositors so kind of crazy right mm -hmm. and uh i think i think coupled with some profit taking before the weekend and some escalation of stuff you know over in the middle east and also you know with the ukraine uh attacking a russian oil tanker just off the coast of crimea there um so there's 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 stuff going on so why not take a little bit off the table um and i and that's the kind of change that i've seen here we've had a pretty good run and we've been you know climbing any wall of worry but then we we're up so much for the year and we're starting to get these cross currents. So I, I think it's a good time to take some profit. And uh, I think that's what investors have been doing, institutions have been doing. So well, also, I mean, if you're going to go on vacation for a few weeks and you're concerned, I mean, you know, you might want to scale back a little bit anyway, right? So anyway, that's uh, my two cents and Dave's two cents. Actually, you have three cents, Dave. That makes five cents. <laughs> all right well thanks guys um yeah take care and uh, have a good trading day a uh, week next week okay